I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to recap the Jets' loss here in week number six to the Miami Dolphins in Miami. Final score, 24-0 Dolphins. I don't really know what to say about this, so I'm going to bring in somebody who's better with words than I am because he writes for a living. He covers the Jets for NorthJersey.com, Mr. Andy Vasquez. Andy what can you even say about this game? Well, uh, the Jets are one game closer to the end of the season, so that's exciting. It should be exciting for everyone who watches this team, and, and they're now the only winless team in football, so they are in the driver's seat for the number one pick, and they are in very firm control of the wheel as we saw today. It's funny because last week... Was talking about how Joe Flacco really was as good as you could have expected, considering that he's 35 years old and coming off neck surgery, hadn't played in quite a while. Not that he was good, but he was okay. He wasn't embarrassing. Today, pretty embarrassing, actually. And the box score was bad, but he played worse than the box score, I think. 21 of 44, 186 yards. 4.2 yards per completion took three sacks including one that was a 28 yard loss I've never even seen anything like that before through an interception because Xavier Howard is one of the best cornerbacks in the league you would think that Flacco would stay away from him instead Flacco decided to test him and he failed that test miserably when Xavier Howard picked him off so just a nightmare of a day for Joe Flacco and the entire Jets offense I will say this though Rashad Perriman, who has gotten criticism for a variety of reasons, some of them his fault, like the fact that he's been injured and hasn't been able to be in the lineup to give the Jets production. And normally you would say you can't reasonably criticize somebody for being hurt, but when it comes to Perriman, he's been hurt a bunch in the past, so you have to criticize the decision to bring him in on that front. Robbie Anderson having such a good start in Carolina is not Rashad Perriman's fault, so it's not fair to criticize him for that. But I thought today he actually did pretty well. He got open a lot. Flacco just couldn't hit him. There were multiple times where he was open and Flacco's throw was just absolutely atrocious. So I thought Perriman actually looked pretty good today. But the passing game was ugly. 
In the past couple of weeks, Jamison Crowder was able to find a way to get big numbers, mostly because he would find a way to make at least one big play. That didn't happen today, and again, not entirely his fault. Flacco was really, really bad, but it is what it is. Braxton Berrios had one nice catch for 18 yards and a first down, but the first downs were few and far between, and there were no third down conversions really for any team in this game. Until midway through the fourth quarter, the Jets and the Dolphins hadn't converted a first down from a third down. But the difference here with the Jets and the Dolphins was the number of first downs and the quality of the yardage. Because if you look at the yardage overall, it's dead even. Joe Flacco threw for five less yards than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but the Jets rushed for five more yards than the Miami Dolphins. And that looks fine on paper, but Andy, as you know, the Dolphins made much more productive use of those yards. They got a ton more first downs, and so they were able to be productive and put points on the board. This was just such an ugly performance for Gase's offense, and we're going to talk about the defense in a second. They also performed quite poorly, but we say this every single week about the Gase offense. They just couldn't find a way to do anything, and in previous weeks, it would be Crowder, if he was healthy, that would have a big game, so you'd at least point to that. This week, the best you can do is say that Perriman got open a bunch, but he didn't even really have a big day at four catches for 62 yards because Flacco kept missing opportunities. So all in all, a huge failure for this offense. Joe Flacco, as you were talking to me about before we started recording, Andy, looked scared almost from the beginning. There was just not much going on here for Flacco or for the offense in general, ugly all around. Yeah, I mean, you, you summed it up pretty well with, with everything that went wrong in this day. With Flacco, I think early in the game, he made a decision, uh, and it's hard to blame him for this, to just kind of prioritize his survival over anything else because the offensive line was not good and it's banged up state today, and guys were, were coming at him and hitting him hard early and often. So um, that still doesn't explain why the offense was so bad. And it doesn't explain why the game plan, obviously, early in the game was to take some shots and then they, they abandoned it right away because it didn't work. And, it, like, Perriman was open. Flacco didn't get him the ball on one of those throws. Adam Gase said after the game, kind of a little bit of an excuse shocker, I know. But um, <laughs> he basically said that some of these plays would have come through, like maybe if the receiver doesn't stop running. Like, okay, great, but then why just stop running the plays? And at a certain point, you know, you're getting absolutely destroyed. And Flacco obviously is, is rattled. Like, why not just try Mike White? I mean, I know that's dire, but, like, it's not like Flacco's in there lighting it up. Why not just try something different? So there's still plenty of fault to go to Adam Gates for this and, and, and whatever he's doing. And, look, I don't think anybody expects the Jets to be, like, world beaters given what we've seen talent-wise at this point. No one really expected them to win this game, even though, in theory, before the season started, it was one of the more winnable games on their schedule. But the fact that they are getting destroyed to the point where after – the end of the first quarter, you know how this game is going to end. That's, that's just, how do you, how is that okay? How is that explainable? It doesn't really matter. The talent deficit shouldn't be to the point where they can't even stay in the game with a, a team that's obviously on the rise, but obviously not great. And it's not like the Dolphins were playing this 
perfect game. They, the Jets just couldn't do anything. And yeah, it, it's partially on the offensive line and it's, it's hard to not have your starting left tackle. And, you know, Alex Lewis is obviously banged up at, at left guard and they're dealing with all sorts of other issues, but it, does, it just doesn't explain what we're seeing. And there's obviously whatever is being coached, whatever the game plans are, whatever the adjustments that are being made, uh, it's not working and there's really no other way to spin. There's no excuse that's going to make that okay. The running game was perplexing too, Andy, because we'd heard all week from Adam Gase about how now was the time for them to get LaMichael P. Ryan more involved. And we heard all about how Le'Veon Bell exiting was going to open up opportunities for the younger running backs. Frank Gore, 11 carries, four receptions, LaMichael P. Ryan, two receptions, and seven carries. So again, Gore was getting significantly more touches than P. Ryan. And Ty Johnson came into this game, at one point had a 34-yard run, and then we never heard from him again. So I don't know what he's doing in the run game either. What was his explanation after the game? I'm sure he had another excuse, right? Yeah, I mean, basically the, the explanation was that P. Ryan was kind of hanging his head after a drop or something. I think he did drop a pass. It was a bad drop, if I remember the situation. I think it was on second or third down, and it would have been for a first down. So Gase is trying to basically say, and he kind of floated this last week, that, that he doesn't want to affect his confidence. And that is like a somewhat valid excuse, I guess. Like, there is some, like a tiny bit of merit to it. But it's still not, like, good enough for handing Frank for the ball 11 times when he's averaging, you know, 4.2 yards per carry and really just not stringing together consistent runs. So, um yeah, it's. I think the Jets will get there. They do have a lot of games left. They have 10 games left. I think you're going to get a good look at, at P. Ryan. And, and... But, yeah, it doesn't make sense to why the guy who has the longest running back run of the season, a 34-yard run from Ty Johnson, why isn't he getting more carries after that? That was, I believe that was the second carry of the game, and he got one more carry. So it, it's hard to really explain and unless you're like trying to intentionally boost the game and maybe that's what's happening here. I, I mean, I'm kidding, but it's, it's brutal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Defensively, it was really bad, too. And the funny thing about this is 
People will come away from this thinking that Ryan Fitzpatrick was Ryan Fitzmagic if they just look at his quarterback rating, which is 93. But he really wasn't that good and didn't do that much. He threw for 191 yards, threw two interceptions, took a couple of sacks. So he wasn't anything impressive. What happened here is that the Dolphins just made the most of the yards that they had. The Jet defense did do a terrible job with Miles Gaskin, who just crushed them. 18 carries for 91 yards to go with four catches for 35 yards. In the passing game, the top receiver got 51 yards for the Dolphins. So it's not like any one guy stood out. It was just a couple of guys that had the ball spread around. And you look at what the Jet defense did here. You had two interceptions. One of them was a highlight reel interception by Marcus May. So if nothing else, you come away with that. That one, I have no idea how he kept alive and was able to actually get the interception. Brian Poole got another one as well. It was nice to see a young player like Bryce Huff get a sack. But overall, this defense got more or less dominated by the Miami Dolphins up and down. And again, this wasn't any kind of flashy performance by the Dolphins offense. This is more like death by a thousand paper cuts. But over and over again, they got done what they needed to get done. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you look at the stats, you might say like, oh, the Jets defense wasn't the problem, the offense. And you might even look at the stats and be like, oh, the offense, like it doesn't do justice to how bad the offense was, the, the stats, because they, they tacked on so much in the fourth quarter. But yeah, the defense was not good when it mattered. They, and those highlight, those were hot. Like Poole's interception was a really nice interception. He, he read Fitzpatrick perfectly and made a nice catch. And, and obviously May's interception was highlight reel stuff. It was incredible. But when it mattered, when the game was on the line, they were terrible. I mean, you look at the, the drives in the second quarter. Um, the, the, the Jets just had that horrible sequence at the end of the first quarter where they somehow got to the 24 and then punted it and gave it to the Dolphins at the 35, which was un- like was incredible. But they go Miami goes seven plays, 65 yards, and a touchdown in which – the, the Jets seemingly like didn't cover anyone. And then on the the next couple drives, the defense gets stopped. The offense is terrible. And then uh, late in the second quarter, the Dolphins go 48 yards on three plays to take a 21, nothing lead. And, and they just didn't cover a tight end. Uh, when uh, I'm trying to remember the touchdown was the Smythe who I'd never, I wasn't aware of his work before today. <laughs> and neither were the Jets apparently because they uh, did not, have anyone like they didn't even cover him so it's kind of something a little poetic and rich about chan gailey who i think uh, the jets like didn't do anything with a tight end when he was there and now he's using tight ends to just carve them apart when the game was on the line in the second quarter i mean the defense was garbage when they had a chance to make an impact and, and sure they got it under control and kept it from turning into like an even more embarrassing day than it was but it's it's just a theme with the defense that that we've been seeing all year is is when they really need to bow up and, and get a stop. Not only do they not do that, but they they do it. They they let the other team move the ball way too easily and and in, in just really discouraging ways. The big star here for the Jets was Braden Mann. He had ten punts for four hundred sixty two yards. That's remarkable in one game. I thought at one point he was going to break the record. Andy, you were saying before we started recording that the record is 16 punts in one game. And through the third quarter, he had eight. So you had to think that there was at least a chance 
that he was going to be able to break that record, but he didn't. But still, 10 punts is a lot. 46 yards per punt, though, pretty good. And unfortunately, Sam Ficken today ended his perfect streak. He had his first missed field goal of the season. Yeah, the, the offense didn't do him any favors. I, there's so many of these situations that it's hard to remember, but I, I know before the 55-yard missed field goal, which would have been a career high for him, he uh, they got backed up. Something happened. It was either a penalty or a sack or made it harder than it should have been on him, and, and his perfection was, was not intact. And it was one of the few times we got to see him today because I think it's the only time he kicked the ball other than the second-half kickoff. <laughs> because, you know, the Jets didn't score. And then with, with Mann, again, another touchdown-saving tackle. Um, so he's a real sure tackler, and maybe they could use him on the defense because that's not something we've seen consistently from the defense all year. And that's something we should not uh, let go unnoticed today is that special teams from early in the game, I think when the Jets, uh, the Jets' second possession, there was a – holding on a fair catch that pinned them inside the 10. There's another penalty that pinned them inside the 10 later in the first half. Um, it was, they were not, the special teams unit was not good today. They let up a big return that were man, a 30 yard return where man made that, that touchdown saving tackle. So um, not a good day for anybody with the jets and you can cherry pick and look at numbers all you want and make it seem a little better than it was, but it wasn't good. Nothing was good. They weren't competitive. They failed uh, and made critical errors in every phase of the game that, that really were crippling. And um, it's this is their identity now. This is who they are. This is they've always been some sort of variation of this over the last four years that I've covered them. And that's why Todd Bowles lost his job because they found ways to lose games that they shouldn't have lost. And and now they're just doing it in more spectacular fashion, finding ways to not even be competitive in games that they shouldn't win, but but they should at least. Um, you know, be competitive in because every team they've played, except for maybe the 49ers who played a really good game against them while shorthanded, every other team they've played has not played great. The Bills struggled. Uh, the Broncos tried to hand them a game. The Colts were not great uh, in that first half against them. And they let it get away and just keep going on down the line. Uh, you know, the Cardinals were terrible in the first half and, and, and the Jets did not take their invitation to get back in the game. And then today, like you said, the Dolphins didn't do anything special. It was just at key times they were able to move the ball and, and get things done because the Jets conspired to kind of defeat themselves and, and make it really easy on, on Miami. Andy, I like your idea of having Braden Mann double dip and play a little defense. They could use a shorthanded tackler now to take the place of one of the team leaders, Steve McClendon. This was a weird move, Andy. Not that McClendon was traded to Tampa Bay. That makes sense because the Jets are a team that's 0-6 and not going anywhere. McClendon, 35 years old. So clearly it doesn't make sense for them to keep him if they can get an asset for him. And Tampa Bay could use somebody like McClendon. Todd Bowles knows McClendon well, knows what to do with him from his time here. So all that makes sense. What was weird was the timing. This was announced almost exactly after the game ended. I've never seen anything quite like that. Yeah, within an hour after the game, uh, the report came down. So obviously this was something that must have been talked about and in great length before now and, and just probably weren't ready to do it yet because maybe they still had hope that with a win today they could salvage some sort of respectability or 
the illusion of it. And, and after what happened today, they decided to uh, move on. And, and, you know, for all of the issues that the Jets have had under Gase and, and Joe Douglas, starting with Celestio Semele last year and Quincy Anunwa and Jamal Adams, these guys being upset with them and, and Le'Veon Bell, um, they, the, the, these guys have ended up for the most part in, in good situations. It, it's kind of funny. You know, Adams got everything he wanted traded to one of the teams on his list. Um, and now you, you see Le'Veon Bell, they, as unhappy as he was and, and the stuff he did on social media, the Jets gave him exactly what he wanted, which was, you know, and, and at some cap expense to them, an opportunity to go play for a contender by releasing him. And, um, and now you see with McClendon that he's going to a contender to, to reunite Todd Bowles. So I, w- I don't know this, I've, but it's not necessarily a bad move on their part to kind of let these things happen. While they're obviously with Adams, they got a great return. And with Bell, um, you know, it does make sense to cut him because the last thing you want him to do is tear his ACL at some point in the next four or five weeks and then be on the hook for $8 million next year with that injury guarantee. So these moves made sense for them as a team. And they got a, a 2022 sixth rounder and a 2022 seventh rounder back from McClendon. So these moves make sense for them as a team as they kind of add assets and, and move on from these guys. And they're putting them in good situations. And, and while they may be losing the PR battle on that, that's something that agents are going to be aware of. It's something that players are going to be aware of when they try to sign guys uh, in free agency or, or try to get guys to come to their team. I think that is going to be a factor moving forward. So there's that. But yeah, this whole McClendon thing is the first real public in- indication that they're not prioritizing winning anymore. I mean, with Le'Veon Bell, you could have made the argument that like, look, it doesn't really affect the offense because he wasn't, the way he was being used, he wasn't having an impact on the offense. And you know, they're getting rid of a guy who's a headache in the locker room at this point and, and maybe who turns players against the team. So you can make that argument. I mean, there's, I, I, I'm not necessarily totally on board with that argument. I think whatever, but you could have made that argument. With this, with this move, Steve McClendon, like he is very highly regarded in the locker room as a, as a guy who's been able to be positive through all this losing and hold things together. And the fact that they're moving on from him, you know, tells you that their priority now is on the future, not on this year at all. And at 0-6, that is the right strategy. I mean, they are not salvaging this. They are not coming close to salvaging this. They are probably going to have the first pick in the draft. They're in grave danger of going 0-16. And um, they need everything they do from now on needs to be about accelerating the process of, of turning this around and giving them the weapons and, and assets they need to do that. So that this does represent like a clear shift and and a clear public shift in that uh, you know, mindset. Should give credit to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, who is the first one to report this. So good for him for getting that scoop. Again, I've never seen anything like this where a player is traded 
directly after the game ends, but I have a feeling that we may see some more guys be traded from the Jets in the coming weeks. McClendon, the first one, but if I were a betting man, I would say he is not going to be the last one. Let's talk about this Greg Williams, Adam Gase situation, Andy, because we monitored this throughout the week where Williams took a veiled shot at Gase by saying that it wasn't entirely the defense's fault that they'd given up 32 points per game. And when pressed on that, he said, figure it out for yourself. And then before the game, Adam Gase went off about this, saying that people need to shut up and do their job. Then, of course, two of them were seen by the cameras before the game talking on the sidelines. Conversation looked to be animated, but I don't know that there was any kind of fight or anything. I would hope that they're not stupid enough to fight where there's cameras. But still, just seeing the two of them in an animated discussion, knowing what's been going on, people started to talk. What is the latest with these two? Did Gase address this in the post-game presser? Yeah, it was a huge topic of conversation. And just the fact that you get to this point where this is a major storyline within the game that like the broadcast crew is bringing up and talking about in length, like talk, just shows you it just makes you wonder, like, what are these guys doing? Like, what are they thinking? It, it takes, like, several mistakes by the both of them to get to this point. Like, for the first mistake, obviously, it's on Greg Williams for saying that in the press conference. And he's right. They were averaging 32.2. Uh, the Jets were allowing 32.2 points per game heading into this week. And 14 of those points were basically directly – on Sam Darnold for the pick sixes he threw against Indy. So it's more like 29.8 or something, which still isn't good. It still would have been like 25th in the league instead of 30th. But you're at that point, like the defense has been bad. So the fact that Greg Williams even brings it up is not good. And then when he's asked to explain it, he could just be like, I'm just talking about that exact number. It should be a little bit less, but that's not, you should have said something like that. That's not the point. Um, the point is we need to be better. But he didn't say that. What he said was, figure it out on your own. And then, of course, that leads to all the speculation, like, why is he taking shots at, at Gase? Is he talking about more than just the point differential? He's talking about the terrible offense putting the defense in bad situations. So that led to, like, a round of stories that, you know, the, the, the heat, the pressure's starting to get to the Jets because that's what it looked like. And then what happened was on the broadcast, Catalano, the play-by-play guy, talks about the production meeting with Gase, which was on Saturday night, and that Gase was, you know, not happy with Greg Williams for saying that, and that, you know, the the line was, you know, we all need to be pulling in the same direction, uh, and people need to shut up and just play, which is like a pretty harsh rebuke of Greg Williams. But why is Adam Gase saying that to, like, the broadcasters in a production meeting? And then that, like, why? Why not just move on from it and not focus on the nonsense? And, and you don't need to tell people that you're upset about it. Just move on. It, it just it seems pointless. So then the broadcast crew is looking to see, like, signs of strife, and they see Gase and Greg Williams having an animated conversation before the game and then speculate on it on the air, and then all of a sudden half the broadcast turns into are Greg Williams and Adam Gates like, mad at each other and fighting, when what actually was happening 
and I, I believe this, according to Gates, he said that they were having an animated discussion because the referees told them 90 minutes before the game that they didn't like the way that center Connor McGovern was holding the ball before the snap and, and that it may not be like all good. So that's what they were having an animated discussion about. And like you said, it would be insane considering that Williams talked to the media on Friday afternoon. The Jets flew down here on the same plane or staying in the same hotel, riding the same bus to the stadium. Great. Uh, if they're having that conversation on the field 90 minutes before the game, like, that, that's not a realistic situation where in the only place in the stadium where cameras are on them, but it just shows like, what, what, why does it get to that point? And it's embarrassing for the Jets who already are, are bad enough on the field to have this whole thing hanging over the game that really should have just been put to bed. And if Gase wasn't happy with it, he should have just said in a post game press conference, I talked to him about it. We're all just trying to get it figured out. And, we're going to continue to do that, which is basically what he ended up saying, but he also had to answer like six questions about, did you have a certain conversation with him? Are you guys on the same page? Is everything cool? And it it never should have gotten to that because it just doesn't, it's a distraction. It doesn't make sense. And it, it, if, if these are the things that they're talking about, you know, with outside people and stuff like that, it makes you wonder like, how are, how is he managing the players? How are both of them managing the players? Uh, and are they saying the right things to the players? Are they sending the right messages? And, you know, obviously whatever messages they're sending aren't working on the field because they're, they're non-competitive. So it's another really strange and puzzling episode, but this is what the Jets do. And, and, and at least, you know, they make it interesting. I got to give them credit for that. Speaking of interesting, Adam Gase and Frank Gore had some interesting things to say in the post-game presser. I'm going to get to that in a second. First, I want to talk about what Marcus May had to say. He said that he has faith the Jets can turn it around because it's a new day, a new week, which is essentially a fluff quote that means nothing. And then the ultimate roll your eyes quote came from Joe Flacco, who said he was pleased with the way that the guys fought against the Miami Dolphins. I don't even know where to go with that one. But now let's talk about what Gase and Gore had to say. Did Gase shed some light on the injury situation? What else did he have to say? And Frank Gore seemed to be pretty animated. What was the general tenor of his message? Well, I'll leave out all the F-bombs because (laughs) that's basically what happened with Gore. He dropped several F-bombs. And his basic point was that they can't uh, bleeping wait until the bleeping fourth quarter to start playing. And and what basically set him off was the question about like the third down conversions. And uh, it was interesting because he... No, he says he doesn't read anything and he's not aware of it when he was asked about the Greg Williams thing. But he, he did repeatedly say, like, I'm not trying to give Gase a pass and say it's not on him. He didn't say that exactly. Because I'm not trying to give the head coach uh, a pass, something to that effect. But, like, that we're really not executing and I'm sick of it. Like, I'm sick of going in the film room and hearing guys say, I should have made that play. Like, make the play. That, that was his point. And, and obviously... Frank Gore has played a long time in this league and he doesn't like losing like this and um, he's not happy with it. And it just goes to show like what losing does to teams and Frank Gore is like a pretty mild-mannered guy when it comes to talking to the media and you know, he's seen everything. He's 37 years old and the fact that he's dropping you know three or four F-bombs in a row in a, in a post-game press conference just kind of shows you where this team is at right now. It's, it's not 
a good situation. Um, and then with Gase, I mean, basically he was as down as you would ever see him after a game. It's hard to put a positive spin on this, and I think he knows that he says, yeah, we weren't – we have a lot of work to do on offense. He did get into, like, the offensive line issues, and, and basically with, with uh, Flacco, he hinted that that was a big problem is that they just didn't give him enough time to throw. And, and I think that there is definitely, like, some truth to that. But it wasn't the whole the whole issue. And like I like I said before, the the line about Perriman and almost certainly that's what Gates was talking about when he said, you know, we talked about stopping running during the route. Like one of the things like he was asked, you know, he they he was asked like, why do you say the same thing every week about fixing things and then no one uh nothing gets fixed? That was from Brian Castillo of the post asked and that and the response was it's different things. Keep running when we have a guy beat. <laughs> That's the first thing out of his mouth. So he's still ruminating over a play on the, basically the first series of the game. And like, you're sitting there thinking like everything would have been different if we got this one. Like you gotta, just like the players, like you have to put that stuff behind you and move on. And it doesn't seem like he was able to do that. And he also added like making sure that we pick up a blitz uh, and physically get the guy removed from the hole where the quarterback doesn't have a guy in his lap. And he basically said this game was less mental issues. It was physical. He took a few, uh, he took advantage of a few things early in this game and did a good job uh, on, you know, with some set the line and stuff like that and, and taking advantage of an offensive line that, that's injured and not playing well right now. And then uh, with the injury stuff, he based, uh, Chuma Doga left with a calf injury. It didn't return. Alex Lewis, I, I didn't see exactly when this happened, but at some point in the second half, he, he left the game with a shoulder injury and didn't return. And Frankie Louvu, uh, who's a linebacker, but primarily a special teams guy who was a disaster today, left the game with, with a groin injury uh, sometime, I think, in the first half. So that was pretty much it uh, in terms of injuries. We saw Perriman come back. We covered him. Vincent Smith came back, didn't really have much of an impact his first game since getting that core injury. Um, and pretty much, I mean, we, we know Chris Hogan's on IR with the high ankle sprain, so he was gone. The Jets had five healthy receivers for the first time in a while. Um, that's it going forward. The, the big things to watch this week will be Beckton ready to play. Uh, seems to be getting close, even though he's listed as doubtful. And I would be surprised at this point if Sam Darnold isn't back on Sunday. Um, he started throwing last week and uh, was ruled out on Wednesday. But I think at the very least, they'll they'll take that decision up until Friday and game time. And I think he'll play. Frank Gore dropping F-bombs is the perfect way for this entire day to end for the New York Jets. If even Frank Gore is frustrated to the point where he's dropping F-bombs, what does that say? For everybody else Andy Vasquez covering the New York Jets For NorthJersey.com Thanks so much for coming on and recapping the game with me As always, really appreciate it If you want to check out Andy's work You can see most of it for free But if you want access to everything Including all the other great work at NorthJersey.com It's just 99 cents a month Great local journalism there Including the stuff Andy does So I highly recommend checking it all out And Andy, when they do go there And look at your work What are they going to find? Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff. Uh, you can go back and read uh, my game recap in which I, I 
went back, kind of included some of Gates' thoughts and Frank Gore's thoughts, got into that, why he was frustrated, and kind of everything that went wrong today. And, and also, like, looking at the Miami situation, you know, they hired a, ho- a coach at the same time. The Jets hired the guy they fired, and, and obviously that kind of hammered home the point of where the Jets are right now. Also got into the trade for Steve McClendon, what it means, what the Jets are getting back, and, uh, you know, the Jets now have a new longest tenured player. Hasn't been here that long. Actually, at the same amount of time as McClendon, but you can go to the story and check that out. A, a little teaser there. And uh, I also went deep into this Gase, uh, uh, Greg Williams situation and uh, went over a lot of the stuff I talked about here today, but probably a little bit more clear because I'm better at writing than I am at talking and, and just kind of explaining you know, why that's such a mess and why stuff like that shouldn't happen and, and, and why it did happen. So you can check all that out and, and we'll have more on the website on Monday morning, looking at the Jets future stuff about coaches, potential coaches who could replace Gates when they decide to make that move and where the Jets stand in the uh, race for the first overall pick with some numbers and, and obviously, we'll be start examining the Trevor Lawrence situation and and what options the Jets are going to have there, and and maybe a few things they might want to do and might want to do. So definitely come to NorthJersey.com. Please uh, click on my stories and then subscribe. That would be great for us with everything that's going on. We get a lot of great news and and good for me to let my bosses know that I appreciate my work. So appreciate you guys reading and hang in there. And only ten games left. Before we go, let's get a preview of the 2021 NFL Draft College Football Stock Report with our man Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com, courtesy of our friends over at MyBookie. Right now, the NFL, college football, and baseball playoffs are all going on. No shortage of games to watch and thousands of lines available on your favorite sports and events. And you can turn these games you're watching into a payday with my bookie. Use the promo code OVERTIME and claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. And for the future, I highly recommend betting on whoever's playing the Jets. So that'll make you plenty of money right now at my bookie. Remember, use the promo code overtime and you can claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks on your first deposit. Charlie, give us a little bit of a ray of sunshine here after a really cloudy day with the Jets and the Dolphins. Jets getting shut out 24 to nothing. Tell us about some of the guys we have to look forward to in the 2021 draft. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Scott. So this week in college football, we had uh, a cornerback really jump out and uh, have really a career day, and that was South Carolina Gamecocks cornerback J.C. Horn. If Horn sounds familiar, he's the son of Joe Horn, uh, the former Saints Pro Bowl receiver, 
J.C. Horn has kind of gone under the radar a little bit at South Carolina, but he's been a really good cover corner for the Gamecocks over the past few seasons. And this last Saturday, he just dominated Auburn. He shut down Seth Williams. He had four passes broken up, two interceptions, uh, was superb in coverage all day, running with Williams, playing the ball, uh, doing a phenomenal job of maintaining coverage and not allowing separation and really limiting Auburn's best player, uh, and that helped South Carolina to get a big upset there. Uh, But Horn has NFL size, he has instincts, he has speed, uh, good length and technique. So late in the first round, early in the second with that pick the Jets have from the Seahawks or their high second rounder, Horn might be a nice player uh, to look at there as an upgrade to their secondary. Another player that could be in that range is Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver from Houston. I reached out to some scouts as to who's impressed them this year, and Stevenson was a name that came back to them. Even though Houston hasn't played a lot this year because of the COVID situation, Stevenson has impressed scouts and uh, and seeing him in practice and the limited game action and going back to previous seasons and looking at the tape there. They say that he really compares similarly to Marquise Hollywood Brown, first-round pick by the Ravens. He's that small speed receiver that can change the game with one play. Uh, so that's another guy late in the first round, early in the second round, that could be a player uh, for the Jets to consider, hopefully for New York's they land Trevor Lawrence and then you get him a big play threat like Stevenson. Now as far as a player that hurt himself, that would be Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill. He was awesome in week one against LSU, but he was suspended for this last game because of uh, discipline issues and some locker room incidents after Mississippi State lost to Kentucky. Uh, A week ago, I said in this stock report that I didn't think Le'Veon Bell would be on the team uh, in the long-term future or much longer, but I didn't realize they'd be cutting him just within hours of that. Uh, But at any rate, that opens up running back as a need for the Jets. And I don't think Hill, I don't think with the what the Jets just went through with Le'Veon Bell, uh, that Hill might be a real fit there considering the issues that are causing him to get suspended and really hurt his team. Uh, so that's the Walter Football Stock Report for this week, and I'll be back with you guys soon. Thanks, Charlie, and thank you for listening. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you can go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.